In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Today we're going to be taking up the theme of preparation by way of confession. Uh, Advent, it's a time of preparation. It's uh, a time to prepare our hearts to receive the Christ child born 2,000 years ago. There can be no better preparation than confession. We find that John the Baptist prepares the people of God to greet the Messiah by inviting them to repent, inviting them to confess there at the Jordan River. Really, that's what sets Christianity apart. That's what makes Christianity unique among all the religions of the world. It's the grace of God, mercy and forgiveness that is ours through Christ Jesus. It's for this purpose that Christ came, to win for us forgiveness, so that we might be God's people. And therefore, no greater preparation than to confess our sins. Well, as I said, this is a very unique thing about Christianity, not shared really by any other religion. Almost every religion in the world has a system of morality, and in large part, they more or less agree with Christianity. But it's only Christianity that offers the sweet release of mercy on account of our sins. That makes us do something that is almost unheard of in, in any other religion. That is to make confession of sins the very center of what we do. In fact, most services, we begin by confessing our sins. As I said, this is unique. Uh, other religions have confessions but they're confessions of a different sort whereas we confess our sins other religions encourage people to confess their righteousness take for example ancient uh, Egyptian religion you might be familiar with this image you you see it a lot in like textbooks or you see it in uh, Maybe if you watch a documentary on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel. And if I describe it, it's probably buried somewhere somewhere in your mind. You may be seeing it in the National Geographic. So there's a very famous image of the Egyptian afterlife as conceived in, in ancient Egyptian religion. And there's this big, huge scale. On one side of the scale, there's a human heart. And on the other side of the scale, there's a feather. And the idea is if your heart is heavier than that feather, well, the afterlife's not going to go particularly well for you. Your heart had to be lighter than that feather. There's a, a great deal more involved than just this weighing of the heart. There's also a weighing of deeds. In order to do this, you had to go to a a series of 42 gods and goddesses and 
Make confession to them. These 42 gods and goddesses and the confession that you had made to them, this wasn't confessing your sins. This was confessing your righteousness. The most complete record of this we have is from a, a document. It's called the Papyrus of Ani. Ani seems to have been an important man in, in ancient Egypt. And there was, in essence, like a death book written for him, which sort of served as the roadmap for the afterlife for him. And it has recorded in there these confessions that he was going to make, I guess, so he wouldn't forget them. <laughs> these confessions were written out for him that he was going to make to these various gods and goddesses. And um, I'm just going to read a few of these to you. So, I have not committed robbery with violence. I have not stolen. I have not slain men or women. I have not destroyed the grain. I have not reduced measures. I have not told lies. I have not stolen food. This one's interesting. I was not sullen. I have not committed adultery. I have not caused anyone to weep. I have not transgressed. I have not done grain profiteering. I have brought no lawsuits. I have not committed adultery. I have not struck terror. I have not transgressed the law. I have not been hot-tempered. I have not been neglectful of truthful words. I have not been impatient. I have wronged no one. I have done no evil. My voice was not loud. I have not harmed the bread ration of the offerings. And so on it goes. All these confessions of His righteousness given to these various gods. And I imagine as the wife of Ani maybe walked in on the scribe, she maybe rolled her eyes far back into her head. <laughs> but you see, this is what happens when righteousness is based on works. When righteousness is based on our deeds. We have to give an account for ourselves. And we're probably going to overlook quite a bit in our lives as we make our case before the gods. Every other religion in the world has a system of morality, as I said, and they more or less align with Christianity. It's, it's striking. There's not a single one of these righteous acts that is inconsistent, more or less, with the Christian view. Of what is right and what is wrong. But it is only Christianity that does something different. And it is only the faith which looks to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob which offers the sweet release of mercy. We heard about this in our Old Testament lesson. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. 
And in the 85th Psalm, which we pray today, we prayed, Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. You see, the, the religion of the Bible, the religion of God's people from the Old Testament through the New has this element which is unique. That even while God holds up a high standard of expectation for us, God demands that we love Him with our whole heart and soul and strength and mind and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. But it is also only the religion of Christianity, the religion shown to us in the Scriptures, which offers forgiveness and mercy. Recognizing human fallenness, not in a way to excuse fallenness, but rather instead to forgive us when we fall and the fulfillment of our righteousness. And we see this mercy in the Old Testament. We see time and time again that even as Israel fails to show faithfulness to God, God is still faithful to Israel. We see in the various rites of the temple signs of God's mercy. Probably the strongest sign of this mercy is the rites of the Day of Atonement as they sent out the scapegoat to take the sins of the people out from the encampment and out from the city, out into the wilderness to foreshow how Christ, being cast out of the city, has taken our sins from us. This is what sets us unique uniquely amongst all the world's religions. And this is something that the world continues to need to hear. Because even while many may have turned away from God, there's still no shortage of those who seek to justify themselves and are dishonest in that self-justification. There's still no shortage of those who seek to adhere to a system of laws and feel great shame and guilt at their failures. And this is why it is still critical that the doors of St. Peter's Lutheran Church swing open week by week and day by day. So we might be gathered in to receive this life-changing grace and mercy won for us on the cross and so that they might swing again so that we might go out and tell of this life-changing, world-changing mercy. A message which no one else can give. Yet there are obstacles to us embracing this mercy, this grace, this forgiveness of God. Let's talk about a few of those. 
First of all, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is the obstacle of those who, who, seek to, who, who seek to establish man-made laws in contradiction to God's laws. Now, as we said, most religions throughout history have been agreed on what is right and what is wrong in, in broad strokes at least. Today, it is very strange, however, that there are many who seek to tamp down the testimony of the heart that God has endowed each of us. As it says in Romans, that the law of God is written on the hearts of all and accuse us when we fail to keep God's law. And yet there are those who seek to tamp down this testimony of the heart through convolutions of the mind calling what is good bad and what is bad good, basically turning upside down and turning on its head what a life of love towards God and what a life of love towards others looks like. And it is tempting for us and our minds to be so confused. I mean, even while we come here together to hear God's Word, still day by day and week by week, our ears are full of this odd testimony on the television, in social media, on the radio, in our streaming apps, and so on. Brothers and sisters in Christ, instead, let our minds be conformed to the law of God so that they might be in accord to the testimony of God in our hearts. One way to do this is by thinking about the law of God on a daily basis. There's lots of ways you can do this, but I'm going to give you one way. One way that I like to use. When I lay down in bed at night and, and pray to God, one of the things that I like to do is to pray through the Ten Commandments. So to think about, for example, the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And to compare my life that day to the commandment. And to lift up to God in prayer the ways that I have failed to put God in the place that He ought to be in my life. That I have failed to honor Him with my mind or my lips or my deeds and so on. I go on to the second commandment. Thou shalt not misuse the name of the Lord thy God. And, and think to myself, how have I failed to honor God's name in my life? I bear the name of Christian, for example. And so therefore, how have I failed to honor that name in my deeds and in my works? How have I failed by using God's name in ways that I shouldn't have used it? How have I failed in terms of, of failing to use it in the way that He wants me to do? How have I failed in my prayers, in my praises, in my supplications, in my thanksgivings? Let me tell you, I get up at five o'clock most mornings, as you, as you heard me say, and uh, and I certainly have have no lack of sins in my life. I don't get very far in the commandments most nights <laughs> before I start nodding off to sleep. But still, perhaps this might be the sort of thing that could help you to meditate upon God's law. Second, to keep the cross of Christ. Firmly in our mind's eye and in our hearts. There are many 
Christians and in fact many churches sadly that have the form of godliness but light lack the power thereof. Back when I was in chaplain school for the army, uh, the majority of my fellow chaplains were, were fellow Protestants. And uh, in, the, in the 12 weeks of daily chapel there, five chapels a week and then plus on the weekend, so about 72 services, I heard the name of Jesus five times. I heard about the gospel, the forgiveness, and the blood of Jesus twice. Both times from a Lutheran, by the way. Sadly, the life of many churches that the cross of Christ is not central to them. Sadly, for many Christians, the cross of Christ is not central to them either. Let this not be the case for us, but daily let us think about the crucifixion of Christ, His holy, precious blood shed for us. Let this be the center of our life here at St. Peter's. We are called to do many things. Praise be to God for that, but they all radiate from the very center of our life, which is the cross of Christ. And daily let us think of the cross of Christ, His great love shown for us there, His blood shed for us, because it is from there that God's mercy flows down for us. It is there that our forgiveness was won for us, a forgiveness which surpasses far surpasses the transgressions and our iniquities of our sin. Let us keep the cross of Christ at the center of our lives because by this we have assurance that if we confess, that if we repent, God will forgive. And it's that knowledge the greatest way to prepare for Christmas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.